Most weight loss plans are one size fits all, not taking into account each person's individual needs. Noom is built for your psychology and your biology, meeting you where you are. Noom Weight uses psychology. That's why they say losing weight starts with your brain. But it also takes into account your unique biological factors, which also affect weight loss success. The program helps you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have cravings. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available for pre-order wherever books are sold. You are listening to Red Carpet Rendezvous with your host, Lauren Conlon. Hey everyone, and welcome to a special episode of Red Carpet Rendezvous. I'm your host, Lauren Conlon. So today's episode is very, very different. For those people that know me, they know I am obsessed with true crime. So this is how this this episode originated. My red carpet buddy and frequent podcast guest, Brad Blanks, he used to work at WPLJ Radio, and he knows my other frequent podcast guest, Frank Morano of WABC Radio, because PLJ and WABC were once located in the same building on the same floor above Penn Station. Now, what Brad and Frank had in common when they worked on the same floor was that they were both friends with another radio personality named George Weber. You guys get all that? Um, Frank was especially close with George. He actually mentioned that George was one of his closest friends. But in 2009, that all changed when George was found brutally murdered in his New York City apartment. I was extremely fascinated by this case, and I ended up doing a lot of digging. Um, I think Frank and I ended up talking about this over lunch. It somehow came up, and I don't even remember how, but I was like, wait, what happened? Like, when and how did I not know about this? Um, And I was really, really compelled to share George's story with everyone. Um, I think that his narrative is really misunderstood, and I just want to shed some light. So after this break, we'll take a breather from our regularly scheduled program, and I'll tell you about the vicious slaying of George Weber. Everyone who knows me knows I am obsessed with sneakers and shoes, especially living in New York City. Visit YorkAthleticsMFG.com today and use my code REDCARPET at checkout for 20% off a new pair of amazing sneakers. These sneakers are so lightweight and so stylish that you can work out in them or you can just wear them all day. Don't forget, use my code REDCARPET at YorkAthleticsMFG.com today to get yourself 20% off a pair of super stylish and athletic shoes. George Weber was born March 23rd in 1961 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. 
He began his radio career at 16 years old at WBUX in Philly, and over the next 25 years, he would work at numerous other radio stations in San Francisco, Los Angeles, before he landed in New York City at WABC 77, and eventually ABC Radio Network. Now, while George was at WABC 77, he was on a morning show with Curtis Lewa, who is the founder of the Guardian Angels Group in New York City. And George did periodic news updates throughout the morning and joined Curtis and his then co-host Ron Kuby for really entertaining discussions about the daily news. And everybody really loved him and looked forward to hearing him. George was affectionately known as the quote-unquote news guy. He had loyal listeners all over New York City, as well as New York State. And he had a lot of friends. He could always be seen at his local bar in Brooklyn having a drink. And people said he had the most infectious laugh. And he just loved to talk and debate. I felt like when I heard this, I I would have been friends with him. Now, George had girlfriends in the past. But in March 2009, he was single. And at this time, he was also an avid blogger. He was always going to local coffee shops in Brooklyn to work on his blog. And around the same time that he discovered his love of blogging, he discovered the darker side of the internet, the Craigslist casual encounter section. He kept this from his friends, but George had some kinky sex fetishes that only strangers could apparently fulfill. He, get ready, wanted to be choked and smothered for sexual arousal, and so he placed ads on Craigslist under the email alias Smotherboy. Now let's talk about John Catejas for a minute. You don't know who that is yet, but you will. Now John Catejas was a 16-year-old Greek kid from Queens who was a self-proclaimed anarchist and sadomasochist according to his then MySpace page. He also stated that if anyone didn't show respect for him, that he would break their effing neck. And this was coupled with pictures of him holding various knives and and machetes. And yeah, I guess back in the day when you had a MySpace page, um, you know, they weren't required to take down this type of content. That's so weird. Um, So according to John on the show Facing Evil on ID, he said that he started to just place ads on Craigslist in the casual encounter section as a joke. He just wanted to see what kind of feedback he would get. And if he could possibly make some quick cash, I guess that would be a plus for him. So, okay, back to George. George Weber sees John's ad stating that he's a 16-year-old male looking to make an extra buck, but he doesn't actually want to have sex or intercourse. So George, as Smotherboy, reaches out and says that he will pay him $60 for 30 minutes of his time to basically just tie him up and smother him. No sex. So John thinks to himself, I mean, this is obviously really weird, but okay, I can handle this. And they make arrangements to meet at George's apartment in Brooklyn. So I'm going to tell you the account that John Catejas originally told the police. Now keep in mind, this is not entirely accurate. I'm going to get to the whole truth later on. And also, you know, the fact that that John was a 16-year-old boy and we haven't really addressed that George was was okay with this. Um, that's, I don't really have an answer for that. Uh, my only explanation for that is that everybody makes mistakes and this was a big mistake for George. So 
John says when he called George's cell when he was outside of his apartment, George let him up. Now, keep in mind, George is 47 years old, so John is a little surprised when he sees him and sees, you know, how old he is, but he goes inside. And then John says that George offered him alcohol and cocaine, which he accepts. He said they do some drugs together, and then George says, okay, let's go to the bedroom and get started. So he wants John to duct tape his hands and feet together loosely once he's on the bed. And then he wants John to smother him with the drug called poppers, which is like a chemical that is meant to be inhaled um, that can also intensify orgasms, apparently. So I guess you just put the substance over like a towel or, or a washcloth or something. So apparently, John smothers him a few times. And according to him, all of a sudden, even though George's hands were duct taped, George randomly reaches down for a knife in his pants or, or under his bed and just threatens John out of the blue, who then lunges at him, slicing his own finger to the point that it's almost completely severed, but he manages to wrestle the knife away from George and stabs him once in the neck, you know, as protection, or a jab, as he calls it, and then he kind of blacks out from this and just runs out of George's apartment. He heads straight for the subway and then eventually passes out from the pain of of his bleeding and and almost severed finger. And somebody ends up seeing him and calling an ambulance. So he's taken to the hospital and they stitch up his finger and, you know, he leaves the same night. So this is this is his account. He, you know, he was smothering him. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, George just pulls a knife and and, you know, John fights back. and, And that's that. Now, about a day and a half later, John learns from the news that the man he stabbed was well-known and well-liked radio personality George Weber. So, John panics and heads upstate to Orange County to basically hide out. He then sees on the news that George is dead, so he really starts freaking out. Now, the morning after the stabbing, George obviously doesn't show up for work, and that is not like him at all. According to one of his co-workers, Curtis Sliwa, he could be the male version of Typhoid Mary and still show up to work. So George's co-host takes over for the morning show and they call him and they email him. But ultimately, they decide to give it a day. So then day two rolls around and still no George. So his co-workers are now freaking out and they decide to call the police. So the police head over to his apartment, and his neighbor lets them in the building. But she says, you know, I haven't seen George in a few days, so he's probably not home. However, I did hear the water running, so he's been home at some point. The police head into the apartment, and they find a terrible scene in the bedroom. Blood everywhere, with George stabbed to death. Now, it didn't take police long at all to trace back that John Catejas was the last person to see George alive. His cell phone was the last one that George called, and they traced the Craigslist message exchange with George back to John. John was using the alias Greek Satan 92. I mean, if that's not a red red flag, I I don't really know what is. Um, But John Catejas' father helped the police grab John in upstate New York where he was and arrest him for the murder of George Weber. So... John tells the police the story that I just told you, 
basically painting George as this sex-crazed predator that lunged at John with a knife for no reason at all, and jo- John was just protecting himself by grabbing this, this knife and stabbing George once, maybe twice. Now, there are just a few issues with his story. Because John was treated at a hospital that night, they had a toxicology report, and his blood came up clean. No drugs, no alcohol, so no cocaine, as he originally stated that he did. Now, the other hole in his story was a rather large one. George Weber wasn't stabbed once or twice. He was stabbed over 50 times. Ugh, that's so awful. Um, So police are basically like, you're clearly a liar, and we're having a really hard time believing this story because we just called your bluff on two lies. Now, John sticks with his story and says, look, this is what happened, and I just can't tell you anything else. So John's first murder trial in October 2010 actually ended with a hung jury in a mistrial. According to the New York Post, the jury had questions about reasonable doubt, and they inquired whether they could speculate things that were not in the evidence, and and they also said that there were lack of fingerprints on the duct tape on George Weber's wrist, and they they weren't really sure because there, there weren't enough fingerprints of John's in the apartment, and um, then they also asked to see John's confession tape a few times just to make sure that he wasn't coerced. I thought all of this was ridiculous. I thought it would be an open and shut case because John did confess. Um, But in November of 2011, John was finally convicted of second-degree murder and received 25 years to life during the second trial. He was then dubbed as the Craigslist killer by the media, and George Weber's legacy was left behind with many of his friends and family speculating that he was secretly gay and, and just wondering why he never said anything. So let's fast forward to 2015. John's a bit older now, and he decides to do a sit-down interview with Candace DeLong, an FBI agent who stars in the show Facing Evil on Identification Discovery. Now, this episode is Season 5, Episode 5. And this is where we get to the real story with what really happened that night. And I just want to add, like, if you watch this episode... John is really creepy. Like, at this point, he's 22. He claims he's matured a bit, so he's ready to tell what really happened that night. And he kind of makes light of it. (laughs) Um, He even laughs a little bit, which is just so incredibly disturbing to me. Um, But if you want to watch this episode, you can find it really easily on Amazon Prime. And What I also found disturbing is that there was no press around this episode um, where John finally tells what happened. And, you know, we all can kind of find out that George never lunged at him with this knife. And we we can almost see what kind of person that John really is after he tells the story and and what goes through his head. So real story. When John arrives at George's, George's George offers him a beer, no cocaine. Um, just a beer, and John drinks it. Now, they make small talk for a few minutes, and obviously, you guys know, beer does not have a lot of alcohol, especially, you know, a big guy like like John drinking a beer. It's no big deal. So after that, George leads him into the bedroom, and he shows him what to do. So again, they loosely duct tape George's hands and feet, and then John starts to smother him with the poppers. 
Now, after a few times, George says to John, look, I think I just want to feel more vulnerable. Maybe you can just pull my pants down. So John feels a little weird, but, you know, he pulls his pants down, not his boxers, just his pants, and he smothers him again. Now, it's a little weird for John because George is clearly aroused, but I mean, that's what he signed up for. So George says to John, okay, look, you're already here. I know this is a little weird, but can you just jerk me off? Um, so at this point, John is completely disgusted and just angry that George would even ask. And then something inside him, you know, just snaps and he freaks out. So instead of being like, I don't even want to say the words a normal person and and just being like, yo, F this, I'm out of here. Um, he He again, he starts to freak out and scream at George. So George pretty much just sighs. And, you know, since the duct tape was very loose, he he kind of sits up and he's able to free his hands that were, again, loosely duct taped. And what he does is he reaches down below his bed to grab a knife. And and as he grabs it, he's leaning over just to cut the duct tape on his feet so he can free his feet because it's just easier to use a knife. So he frees his feet. And this is when John decides to lunge at him and grab the knife and then brutally attack him and stab him to death, clearly in this crazy homophobic rage. Um, I mean, I'm not really sure what prompted John to finally tell the truth about what happened that night. But again, he did claim that he had matured. And I think as a 16-year-old kid, he was extremely embarrassed that he put himself um, in a situation like this and just about the whole thing, that he was even involved in some kind of romp with another man, even though technically none of them were quote-unquote gay. Um, John also told Candace DeLong he'd rather eat a bullet than be released from prison into the real world after 25 years in jail for fear that he just wouldn't adjust. And I mean, that was a weird thing to say, but for society's sake, I really hope they don't let that psychopath out. Um, and, and as for George, he wasn't perfect, but you know, we all have secrets. And like I said, the fact that he was okay with having a 16-year-old boy do this for him, you know, that was his mistake. That that should have never happened. But what he did behind closed doors, that was his business and his business only. Um, I don't think it would have been as big of a deal in the media if this person was um, of age. But George is greatly missed by his radio fans and friends. And and he, yeah, he had some dark secrets. And that absolutely does not make him a bad person. So, yeah, the headlines you find about this case are just awful. I mean, they say he was a predator. But um, after talking to some of George's friends, like Frank and Brad, I definitely don't think George was gay. I think he was just into kinky sex. And clearly this last romp caused him his life. And um, I don't know. We all make mistakes and we shouldn't be punished forever. And I just, I wanted to get the real story out there that George never pulled a knife on John. He had no intention to hurt John. Um, John never told the truth because he was just too embarrassed. So 
Okay, guys, I know that this episode was kind of a downer, but I wanted to explore my true crime chops. Um, so thanks. Thanks for letting me. And again, I also wanted to get the real story out there um, that George was not a monster. And, you know, John had issues and, and now he's behind bars serving his time. So, okay, for the next episode, we'll be back to normal film, television, celebrities. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for listening to this special episode of Red Carpet Rendezvous. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Red Carpet Rendezvous. Until next time. Until next time.